Hey church, good morning. Happy Sunday to you. Here we are near the end of July and we're saying farewell to our beloved John Dias, at least as far as his ministry career is concerned. We're so glad John and Claire and their families are still going to be around this area and we look forward to spending more life with them. But John, from my heart, thank you so much for everything you've done. I love you, brother. So today we're in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read about a time when Paul wrote some encouraging words for Christians that were going through incredible hardship. So I think this couldn't be more appropriate than it is for 2020. Uh, why don't we read some together? Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and following. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. These verses have a wonderful promise that God is not only listening for our prayers, He's helping us to speak them. That God's Spirit Himself is inside of our hearts, moving, searching, looking, listening, and groaning. There's three groans in Romans chapter 8. One of them belongs to the Holy Spirit of God. The other one belongs to us, you and me, who are in the world experiencing hardship and suffering. And then the first groan belongs to the world itself, the whole created order, that according to this chapter has been subjected to bondage. In other words, there's suffering in the creation. And rather than give a cheap and easy answer to why suffering and hardship exist, Paul simply notes the fact that it does exist and that the creation is subject to it. This is not God's final plan or his final say, but for the time being, the creation and even the church and the Holy Spirit himself are all groaning. Now, the reason that the three groans are important is that it shows the empathy of God. God is not distantly watching people suffer and allowing them to be isolated and alone. Instead, His Spirit is intimately involved and close to our very selves, closer maybe, in fact, than we even are to the very ground of our being. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us life and new creation life and that's groaning out these prayers to God when I was a kid, we used to eat alphabet soup. I don't know if that's something they still have or if any of you have ever had it, but there was a couple of varieties. There was basically vegetable soup with alphabet noodles in it. And then there was also this alphabetty spaghetti. It's kind of like SpaghettiOs, and it was better in my opinion. But in both cases, you had essentially the same thing, a bowl full of whatever kind of a sauce and then there would be uh, either vegetables or, or, or chicken or the little SpaghettiOs meatballs. And then the noodles, which were the letters. And you could play with them and try to spell out words or you could just stir your spoon and ask, can I be done yet? No, not until you've finished your soup. And you'd stir the letters a little more and look for random patterns and look for words and hope for some kind of message. I think maybe this is what it's like sometimes when I look inside of myself and try to pray to God. It's like this stirring of alphabet soup inside where the letters are nonsense. 
They're not arranged in any particular order. They're upside down and backwards. It's not just that I don't have eloquent paragraphs of prayers. It's that I don't even have sentences or words. Have you ever felt this way about your prayer life? Have you felt this way about 2020 and all the things that we've been going through together? We've been going through them together, but it often feels like we've been going through them alone, like we've been separated from each other. So we've got this one issue in our reading today, which is the frustration of our prayers. But there's another issue in today's reading as well. Paul's not going to let it hold us back, but it's a real problem. That life is hard and it's full of trouble and difficulties of many kinds. He gives two lists in today's reading of some of the kinds of difficulties that when they happen cause us to feel as if we've been separated from the very love of God himself. And Paul will say it's not so. There's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. And nothing can separate us from the love of God that is for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And yet we often feel as if that's the case. Have you felt separated or lonely at all in 2020? There is a story going around on the internet, so it must be true, that Japanese theme parks have put up signs on some of their roller coasters asking people not to scream out loud on the roller coasters in fear of spreading the virus through the aerosol droplets that come out when we breathe or scream. And so the sign translated says, please scream inside your heart. Now, again, I don't know if this is true, but some people have said that seems like the perfect slogan for 2020. Please scream inside your heart. Isn't that just the way that we feel right now? I mean, there have been a lot of, uh, of good things that have come in, in recent weeks and months. Like we had a chance to be together last week for worship service, a couple hundred of us early in the morning. But even those good things seem to be tainted or marked in a way by some loss, by some melancholy. Because the 200 of us who were here enjoyed seeing each other smile, but we missed the other six or 700 of you who couldn't be here, for, for whom that just wasn't the right choice yet. And we miss you. We miss being together. And there's such tangible sense of separation because it's a political year, there's a big election coming, because of the racial unrest that's in our world and in our country at all times, but we've paid a little bit more attention to it recently. Because the pandemic itself has isolated us in our homes or caused us to have fear of other people who aren't acting the way that we think they should in public. There were fires in Australia earlier this year. I mean, it's just been a complicated, hard, and difficult year. And in this chapter, Paul will give lists that sound almost like they came right off the script of 2020. Uh, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. All these things are present in our, in our world. Conflicts of different kinds, shortages of different kinds. Life is hard. He'll also give a list that sounds like more maybe a, a spiritual kind of hardships. He'll say there's heights and depths. There's the present and future and powers, angels and demons, death and life. So when he lists these kinds of things, it sounds as if he is talking about spiritual realities that we sometimes sense or feel that we've been separated from 
God's love or from God's people. And it gets even more internalized than that because it's not just the separation of one from another or one from God, but it's the inner disintegration that many of us are feeling in a year like this. So I've spoken on the phone with some friends in the last week who have felt that with all of the things in the news and all of the things that are being argued over on social media, that they've been internalizing these things, that they would like to help the world, they'd like to help solve problems, they would like to lead, they would like to do something, but instead the weight of all this as they internalize it is causing the mental and emotional anguish that they're being pushed like to the brink of insanity almost. And I can understand and empathize with those places because it has been a hard time. So Paul offers us hope in Romans 8 and some perspective that what God wants to do for you and for me is form us and shape us to the image of his son. Romans 8, 29 says that this is his plan to form us to the image of his son. And those are loaded and powerful Bible words because the people made in the image of God come from Genesis 2 and 3, Adam and Eve. Humanity was made in the image of God. That word is loaded. And the word son is loaded because throughout the Old Testament stories, David is like a son to God. And Daniel sees a vision of a son of God. And yet no one is the perfect son of God until Jesus Christ comes into the world and shows us what a real human person looks like. What a rich human life and a full human life look like, even in the face of incredible suffering. So these are loaded words. To be made in the image of the Son of God is pulling on the strings of the Bible story forward and past and drawing them together in this present moment of being shaped to be like Jesus. God has a plan in the present moment of suffering, not to abandon us, but to sit with us in great empathy that in the three groans of the world and the church and the spirit, God, like the man in a cave with his light, is seeking out in all of the dark corners of our heart the movement of the Holy Spirit. There is an image in my mind from TV shows and movies of people that are stuck in a cave because of landslide or because they've gotten turned around and lost. And here they are in these winding caverns and closed off rooms. And they keep searching and searching while their lights are flickering and going out. And what are they looking for? Well, daylight, of course. But what would they accept? What would excite them? A little moving air just a flicker across the flame of their torch, or just that whispering sound, that moving of air further on in the cave that would tell them that there's circulation and a way out of the cave. This passage describes God as the searcher, the one who is looking for the Holy Spirit. Verse 27 says, He searches our hearts and He knows the mind of the Spirit. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit as it it being like the wind or the breeze that you can sense its presence, you can feel its presence, but no one knows where it's coming from or, or where it's going. 
This is the image of God that we get in Romans chapter 8. He knows we feel alone in the back of the cave. The batteries in our flashlight are going out. The torch is flickering. And yet God is searching for the movement of the Spirit. And so God is faithful to us. He is both rooting for us and working for us. He's been planning for us all along. This is why in the next few verses, Paul talks about God's great work from eternity to establish us to be like Jesus. And these are the verses that often become theologically obscure or separate, as if they're a topic unto themselves called predestination, as if God from eternity just wanted to make all of the choices because that's what gods do. And so he called all of the shots and you're just stuck with whatever he called for you. But the way Paul uses the words about predestination could not be more different than that. It's not that God wanted to just do whatever God wanted to do, but that God made loving choices from eternity for those in Christ Jesus. So Paul will begin to blossom, begin to shine, begin to erupt with words that are praise about God and his plan. It says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. A phrase that has often been confused or slightly uh, reformed as a cheap answer to suffering. You know, someone is hurting, they're at the funeral of a loved one, or they've just heard that they have cancer or something awful like this, and people will say to them, well, you know, God works everything for good. Or you know everything has a purpose, everything has a reason. Those words in the middle of suffering often scar and sear as much as the original trauma itself. These words from Paul are not cheap and shallow words to tell a person, you know, it's really all good. You know, it's not bad anyway. Someday we'll go to heaven and, and, and you will forget about this suffering and it won't matter anyways. That is not what Paul is doing in these verses. He says that even in the midst of our hardship, God is faithful that God is working, that God has a plan from eternity past and into eternity future to address the place that you're in right now. And so, God, for those God foreknew, verse 29, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. God's plan in choosing a destiny for you from eternity is to make you into the image of the son, to draw those threads of scripture together to help fulfill the original call from the garden, to reestablish us as a new creation, the Adam and Eve that he's been waiting for and looking for, to save and redeem the original Adam and Eve along with all of their descendants. Those God foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the likeness or the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined he called, and those he called he justified, and those he justified he glorified. And you look around and you say, I don't feel very glorious yet. Well, that might be exactly Paul's point. It's such a certain thing that God will not give up on you that it's as good as if the glory is already yours. Right now, we feel broken down. We feel next to insanity. We feel separated from one another. But in God's knowledge of what it means for you to be secure in his hand as a child of God and a co-heir and a brother of Jesus Christ, as a sister of Jesus Christ. It's so certain that you will receive his glory in his resurrection, that it's like it's already yours. These are words of pastoral comfort, words that Paul is writing to hurting believers to remind them 
not to give up on each other because God has not given up on them. And then these final words that really probably should only just be read. I wouldn't even know how to, how to add to these or how to preach on these. They're just some of the best sentences and paragraphs in all of Scripture. This is like when the Holy Spirit dumps the bowl of alphabet soup out on the table and what Paul could never have imagined and what you and I could have never deduced from a bowl of random letters, the Holy Spirit says, you want to know how God thinks about you. You want to know how the Holy Spirit thinks about the church that Jesus died for. What shall we say in response to all these problems? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, was raised to life. He's at the right hand of God and interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he quotes from Psalm 44. For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We're still in the middle of it. We're still facing death every day. Uncertainty, division and separation and struggles inside and out. We're looking them in the eye every day. But in all these things, we're more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons or the present or the future or powers, height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Holy Spirit could not have written a better response for the church in Rome or for you and for me. I think we all know what it feels like to be separated. And you probably have your iconic stories or your token stories of being separated from a parent in the mall or being away from your loved ones for so long while you were on deployment or taking a new job and the family couldn't move until you had established a job and a home. There's so many things in life that cause us separation. They become token stories, emblematic stories in our mind. For me and for Jenna, one of the stories like that is one that took place right after our wedding day. We were traveling on our honeymoon and the morning after our wedding, we went to Tulsa to get on a Southwest Airlines flight. Now some of you are probably longtime experts at how Southwest Airlines flights work. And we had been on a few flights, but we were not experts. We got to the airport in Tulsa, we got to our gate, and we took a look around. We saw that our letter and number to get in line was pretty high on the list. And we saw there were very few people at the gate, and we thought, we have this made in the shade. There's going to be a whole empty airplane. We'll have our choice. We can go sit wherever we want. We could not have been more wrong. We got on the airplane, and here was the bit that we had misunderstood about Southwest Airlines flights. They had people on the plane who didn't get off. In fact, they had people on every aisle seat and people in every window seat who didn't get off. All that was open were middle seats. My bride, beautiful Jenna, and me getting on our honeymoon flight to Denver, and there's nowhere to sit next to each other. Just as I turned to maybe say something to a flight attendant, they're on the PA system. Everybody, please take your seats. The people not choosing seats are holding up this flight. You are delaying the flight. Please get in a seat. The half dozen or so people still in the aisles trying to 
trying to discern a seat next to their friends or family scramble for all of the middle seats that are left to uh, you know, get away from the wrath of the flight attendant on the PA system. I end up in a seat between two burly Texas guys who are both chewing, chewing tobacco and spitting it into cups for the whole flight. They're leaning over me like this to talk to each other and spit into their cups for the entire flight. Instead of sitting next to my beautiful bride, I'm sitting next to two Texans chewing and spitting tobacco. Meanwhile, Jenna, several rows back, is also having not her best flight ever. There was a young guy, teenager or preteen, who was seated next to her who promptly fell asleep when the airplane took off, and she spent the next hour or so with him constantly falling over asleep onto her shoulder for periods of time. It wasn't our best moment. It wasn't my best planning. We didn't really like to be separated. We were young and in love, and we wanted to be with each other at every single moment of our honeymoon trip. It was frustrating. We didn't know what to do about it. And now it's become a token story or an image for us. But how much more serious are those moments in life when the separation is deeply painful? When it's not just two people with bad breath spitting chewing tobacco in front of you, but it's like the fiery darts of the enemy are coming at you from every angle. You feel beaten down, persecuted, misunderstood, lost and afraid, forgotten, alone in a world of big choices and no answers. It's as if somebody has just spilled the alphabet soup and there's no clear path forward. These are the moments that we cry out in prayer, that we don't know what to say. Our words become mush. Our prayers become groans. And God says in those moments, I join you in the groaning. I come alongside and my Holy Spirit groans. A primal groan, a wild groan, a deep and ferocious longing for the sons and daughters of God to be restored and revealed. And the world groans, and the church groans, and the Spirit groans, and God who searches hearts looks and listens intently. None of these can separate us from his love. He's here near you and with you and for you. And my prayer for you today, my prayer is that in the middle of whatever crisis you're in, whatever hardship you're having in 2020, whatever screams you might be screaming in your heart, that you would be able to hear that soft passage of wind, of breeze, past your ear, flickering through the light of your torch that says, this way is hope and life and restoration. That you would hear that voice of the Spirit coming alongside your own to say, I'm with you in this. Could I pray this for you today? Our Father in heaven, we know that we have many today who are suffering pain and anxiety and separation and loneliness of different kinds. And I thank you for such a magnificent promise as these in this chapter of Scripture, the promise that you groan with us, the promise that you have plans for us, the promise that you will do for us what you did for Jesus by raising him from the dead, the promise that nothing can separate us from your love. God, we look to you and we turn to you, but sometimes we don't know what to say. And so we ask you to keep speaking. We ask you to keep whispering. 
And I pray on behalf of all of those today who need this scripture and this prayer that you would speak a word of comfort to them, that you would encourage them to keep going, to keep stepping with the Holy Spirit, to keep moving through their dark cave, to keep sifting the letters of the alphabet soup, to keep looking for when the Spirit will spell things out in a way that is unexpected and more beautiful and more full of hope than anything else we could have imagined on our own. God, help us to be faithful to each other and faithful to you. Draw us close to each other as we put our hope in you. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever, world without end. Amen. God bless you, friends.